If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 229 of What Most People Think. And I am done, mate. Thursday, that's it for me for the year. And you know how much I've been moaning about how busy I am. Well, I am fucking clocking out on Thursday. And I'm so glad that this week to join me on the show is a guy that a lot of you would have seen on tour is uh, Jacob Hawley. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, yeah. When, when are you clocking out, mate? Because you run about 14 businesses, don't you? You've got like, like <laughs> seven kids, 14 businesses, creating content. When do you finish? I don't really know. I'm, to be honest with you, my mother-in-law is coming over next Tuesday. She arrives the Tuesday before Christmas. And based on her behaviour, I'm going to decide whether I'm going to clock out at all. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Like, <laughs> if she's on the wind-up, which she very often is... I might work up until Christmas Eve. If she's behaving herself, then uh, yeah, I'll clock out roughly when she arrives Tuesday before Christmas. This exactly is why you're on this podcast, because you are one of the younger guests that we've ever had. But as people who would have seen you on tour would have known, after you did your support set, which you always smashed, I would often come on and say, I've got great hopes for that lad ended up right wing. Now, I'm not saying that that is your politics, but it was a joke. It's just that your worldview is slightly different from your contemporaries. And the fact that you've essentially, let's be honest, open with a mother-in-law gag there, very sophisticated <laughs> one. <laughs> my mother-in-law if she comes over I'm working up until Christmas Eve I'll tell you that much I think your crowds on the tour were somewhat surprised by I would really feel the first couple of minutes they'd be like oh he looks like some kind of East London hipster kid this is going to be annoying he's going to talk about lattes yeah. he's going to be a bit right on and then yeah within about two minutes of my company they're like oh no he, he basically thinks exactly what we think he's certainly on the road to it and, and even the fact that you've mentioned as a reference for hipsterism is lattes I think that that shows an understanding of my, it's probably what is it now? Cold brewed coffees. It's probably uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well exactly. In, in the same way that I don't actually really encounter these people, I don't really know any hipsters. Do you know what I mean? My mates are people I went to school with, the tradesmen, and kind of. I, I don't really hang out in those circles. I don't go to those cafes. I'm as detached from the reality of East London young people culture as your listeners are. So, yeah, in, in a similar way to what I was trying to get across on on the tour shows, what I'd say at the start of this podcast is. I'm much more similar to you than you might imagine I am. Yeah, no, you definitely are. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting about the perception of like younger people and stuff is that I get a lot of stick from listeners for being on TikTok. But if you actually go on TikTok, like there's a lot of young people on there saying things that would surprise older people. Like, for example, like there's a lot about 
gender characteristics being fixed. I mean, there's this thing of like girl math and boy math. Have you heard this? I mean, I want to say yeah. maths because I like the Americanism. So what it is, is basically there's a lot of people on TikTok who, who lo and behold believe that kind of like essentially biological sex is a thing when it comes to your brain chemistry. So what they'll do is they'll come at certain situations, whether it be social or kind of like, you know, how people operate in retail. And they'll just say that men and women work things out differently. And there's also a lot of young fellas on there who are pushing back against certain negative characteristics about the male identity or also the way that women even celebrate themselves. There was something I saw the other day, which was this clip where there was this young woman and she was sort of saying, look, I'm, a, I'm 23, I'm an independent woman, I've got my own job, I buy my own shoes. And then it basically this lad cut in and he said, congratulations, welcome to being an adult male. Like you don't, <laughs> why are you celebrating yourself for that? He said, if you've got kids and you're doing that, or if you're like stressful and you're doing that, but just having a fucking job in itself is not a valid reason to give yourself a massive pat on the back. The funny thing is, though, it, the reason that people of that generation, that sort of Generation Z, I guess you'd say, they've been raised on the idea that there is no biological difference between the two genders, that, you know, everyone thinks the same. And then it's a revelation to them that there is actually differences in the same way that for my generation, it was the complete opposite. I was sort of raised in the 90s on the idea that men and women are quite different. And then at some point in the last 15 years, I had to sort of re-educate myself on, oh, actually, no, right, we're all saying that we're all the same now. It's a complete cyclical reverse of the ideas that I was brought up on, and that is now newsworthy to Generation Z. You're right, it goes in and out of fashion, is gender is a construct. But one of the greatest challenges to that idea is just have a kid. Just have a kid and check in with me in a few months and just tell me when your little boy is like bashing shit over the head. One of the things that little boys do that really challenge the idea for me of just how innate certain characteristics are in boys is if you go to a soft play area, there's this weird thing that little boys do, whereas if another little boy is at the top of the slide, one boy will stand at the bottom and block his way like some primitive thou shalt not pass shit. And meanwhile, you've got the girls doing their mad psychops on each other and trying to make each other's lives hell with words. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. But you've also got boys going, I have the higher ground. And the other ones go, don't try it, Anakin. Now, is it my best mate has got a, a little boy exactly the same age as my daughter? They're both three. You could not get a better representation of the difference. Like my daughter le left her own devices. To, she wants to play that she's got babies. You leave that little girl to her own devices. All she wants to do is push a baby around in a pram and pretend that she's in a kitchen. Do you know what I mean? It's like her yeah, instincts yeah. make it look like we've raised her in the most sort of primitive, do what a girl does way. Whereas, you know, I'm taking her to this sort of like North London school and I'm like, no, tell them that we tell you you can be a builder if you want. Yeah, and then my yeah. mate's son is literally just like a fucking gorilla. Just like running around, knuckles dragging <laughs> on the floor, smashing stuff up. Like you leave toddlers to their own devices and they've got the most 1950s set of ideals around gender you could ever imagine. Yeah, toddlers are inherently quite toxic. I think that's fair to say <laughs> by modern progressive standards. One of the most fun things that you can do, right, is if you've got one of these friends that are going, oh, we're, you know, we're raising so and so gender neutral, or certainly that we're not giving them gender specific toys, is just give that kid a gender specific toy. Don't give them a heads up. Go around of Christmas let them open it and it's like a, a mini AK-47 just watch how happy that kid is and yeah, they yeah, might yeah. say well we don't want him to grow up violent I go you know what I think the thing that will make your kid not violent is the way that you parent them generally yeah exactly and um, just to tease what we're going to talk about coming up we have had Rishi at the inquiry and I have become a bit fixated on this inquiry but I look early headlines from me I thought that was the most prime ministerial Rishi has ever looked maybe because he was sitting down and I don't want to be heightest about it but it did help we've also had uh, 
dear friend Gary Lineker, who's been causing another spat on Twitter. You know, he had this thing where he signed up against the Rwanda policy, but then he got into it with a few Tory MPs. So we're going to talk about that. We've also had Nigel Farage finishing third in I'm a Celebrity. We're going to talk about the fallout from that. And then for the Patreon only, I've got to say Patreon only, you've got the spicy subject this week. We're going to be talking about Joey Barton. I don't know if anybody's seen this, but he's launched a fairly significant broadside against the volume of female pundits in football. It's weird because it's one of the things that a lot of my mates have spoken about. There is suddenly a hell of a lot of female football pundits, but also Joey is, well, he's got a bit further than that. We'll discuss the wisdom of his actions later in the show. All right, new patrons. So one of the things you get if you sign up as a patron to the show is, of course, you get it early, ad-free, and with bonus content. But you also get the honour of uh, me and our guest roasting your name. So we've got a few names for you here, Jacob. We just want top-line issues of uh, ideas of who they sound like. We've got Lorraine Smith-Lee. Now, I think that that is an interesting double barrel there because normally double barrels suggest that people are either aristocrats or they're, you know, from your North London school that you go to have gone, we just, you know, we just didn't want to choose one. But Lorraine Smith-Lee, sounds like two people from Mitcham got married. That's it. Smith-Lee, neither of those are kind of wealthy enough background names to really belong in a double-barrel surname, are they? Maybe it's some like power criminal family from South London. You know, like the Richardsons. When everyone talks about the craze, they talk about the Richardsons. Maybe two crime syndicates came together, the Smiths and the Lees. And in a very modern way, they created it. Like the Smiths and the Lees have put their differences aside to form a new modern family with the Smith-Lee surname. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because we're progressive and you have to accept that women have played a role in South London crime that hasn't always been acknowledged in some of the films of the era. <laughs> that would be a funny thing to make, wouldn't it? Like the kind, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. the kind of guy that still wants to be a career criminal but has realised that even that workplace has to be a bit woke now. There has to be an equality committee for, for organised crime. <laughs> yeah, D&I panel <laughs> for the mafia. <laughs> Look, we've just noticed that there is a hell of a lot of Italians in this organisation. Yeah, that's kind of the fucking point. <laughs> <laughs> we've also got Alan Cribbit. Every once in a while, I just think people are just rolled doll characters trying to... I was about to say, that feels like something out of one of the books that I read my daughter. That'd be like a gardener who's been trying to capture kids. Mr. Cribbit's coming round. <laughs> <laughs> Always mates with Bob Cratchit. Alan Cribbit, just he actually had a few quid. and He was just that socioeconomic group above the Cratchits. And he was like, oh, I feel bad. But at the end of the day, it's not like we're loaded. You know what I mean? Like no, he, no. He, he, Cribbit would have given Tiny Tim a stocking, but there wouldn't have been presents in it. You know, he'd been like, look, have that, but you're not getting any gifts out of us. Try to take that out on the street and beg with that. Cribbit invited the Cratchits round and then Cribbit's missus was like, I don't fucking want him round here. Bobby's always... They smell a bit. We don't, we don't want them ruining our Christmas day. Yeah, he's always skin. He's always <laughs> <laughs> trying to take leftovers home with him. It's weird. He doesn't even have Tupperware. Yeah, like, like we're seeing Scrooge, you can judge Scrooge because he's actually got money. We ain't actually doing that. We're just doing a bit better than them. Yeah. Um, we got uh, Jules, who I think is a patron that's had to rejoin because we had the first of the month. I guess the reason Patreon kicks people out is because people change their debit cards or stuff like that. I think sometimes they just do it for shits and giggles. But if you are a patron, you wish to continue to be a patron, you haven't seen anything recently, check your account. It might be the debit card thing. My, my bank just routinely send me a debit card every other fucking month now for no, for no reason. Has that happened with you, Jacob? Whereas you used to have them for like years. Now it's about every three weeks. 
I lose mine all the time and I have to get new ones. And then, and then you have to go through that process. It feels like renewing a passport where you have to find every online thing where you use your debit card regularly and renew all the details and everything like that. I think that's your bank trying to tell you something. I think they think you're being a bit tight and they're trying to get you spending again. <laughs> yeah, or, or just really fraudable. <laughs> Gordon Wilson. I think Gordon's another returner, but Gordon Wilson... That's a 70s goalkeeper for me. Yes. That was like the goalkeeper for Everton in the 1970s who's now gone on to become a mental health advocate. <laughs> yeah, good. I mean, the thing about those 1970s keepers was like... You just go, did nobody think of gloves? Why is some inventions you go, well, that's really impressive. But there are some inventions where you go, that took far too long. I always think like the top candidates for that, goalkeeper gloves, rubber decking in playgrounds. Fuck knows why that took so long. It's not like rubber didn't exist. For years, kids were just stacking it off uh, slides and breaking their shins. And then the other one was like wheels on luggage. Why the fuck did that not start happening till the noughties? The moment you've got luggage and the moment you've got wheels, so wheels have been around a while, luggage probably comes in, what, like 1400s? I don't know. We start, well, that's when we started sailing fucking places, right? It was a very well-informed podcast this way, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, we probably had fucking luggage in about the 1400s. I mean, that brings me on neatly to our super patron, David Domain, who's there to pick up the slack of all the stuff I don't know, and there's plenty of slack. On that note from last week's episode, he said there's a tendency. So we were talking about Germanic languages and sort of compound words. And he said that there's a a tendency in several Germanic languages to accumulate words into one long word, compound nouns. The longest in German itself is 79 79 letters, according to the Berlitz website. I'll give it a go to read it. Rinderkenner, Zeichenflugen, I'm just making up words now. (laughs) Wackensergeben, Uber. Anyway, it's a really long word. And what it means is delegation transfer law for cattle labelling and beef labelling supervision duties. God. Wow. I mean, they say that the Germans are efficient. I'm not sure that word is any better than just saying all those things. I was thinking that as you, as you said the phrase, I was like, that's less syllables than the word. Like, just say the phrase. I, no, I'm looking at it on the page. It's literally less letters than the word. So there's a point where... It's just showing off, really, isn't it? I mean, look, yeah. it's not the worst. I was going to do a really shit World War Two gag there. I was going to go, it's not the worst thing the Germans have done, eh? Hey? <laughs> Topical humour going way back to the middle of the last century. So also, I got a, a letter. So I've been talking about this COVID inquiry, and one of the questions that I asked in the breaking news is, what is the idea of it? Is it to inquire about what happened, or is it to prosecute the idea, like an, an idea of what happened, right? Like a view already. And so this guy got in touch. He he didn't say to keep him anonymous because he is actually uh, a lawyer. So I'm going to do that for him. So he says this, he says, being counsel to the inquiry is a different beast. You're effectively asking questions on behalf of the uh, chairman. So you should have an open mind. You'll have been given lots of evidence, minutes, witness statements, and so on. You shouldn't have a client's version of events that you're trying to establish, which obviously you would have in normal course of law. And so he says, this is where I think Hugo Keith, who's, I don't know if he's the lead KC, but he's certainly the most visible one. It looks like he's trying to establish that if it weren't for Boris and his stupid libertarian instincts, we could have locked down sooner and harder and more lives could have been saved if this is the conclusion the inquiry is going to reach they might as well pack up now because it's a very expensive way of reading sweary whatsapps out loud there you go (laughs) this is why this guy is earning money as a lawyer because he has said in two paragraphs what it would normally take me a 25 minute episode to conclude (laughs) 
We're going to do the thank you and the fuck you now. So Jacob's going to do the fuck you. But a quick thank you is to the feedback I got from my bit on the Now Show about men's mental health. And a little story behind it was something that got cut from the final edit, but not for any sinister reason. So Jacob, you know when you're trying to get the audience's attention? Yeah. Like you want to say something arresting at the beginning. So I, I was just struggling for ideas. And I thought, I know, I want to talk about male suicide, right? It's a tricky subject. How do you get it in play? So I went out. And I said, knock, knock. And the audience said, who's there? And I said, male suicide. And I thought that they would be shocked. And then I went, oh, I was going to go, oh, I've got your attention. But you know what they said? They went, male suicide who? And I was like, <laughs> fuck, of course. Did you try and finish the joke? Did you try and come up with something that uh, male suicide? No, you know, it was so embarrassing <laughs> because they then saw what an untalented person I was, was that one, I hadn't anticipated that and two in that event I was unable to ad-lib anything so I sort of stalled for 30 seconds while they just slowly lost respect for me (laughs) so we had to cut it out because then I finished my bit it got better after that and then you know you do your retakes at the end and I stood up and went just so you know I've had the rest of the show to try and think of a funny comeback to that and I haven't so I think we're just gonna have to lose that bit (laughs) (laughs) that's literally the most awkward way you could start a radio record in any possible scenario Yeah, I was trying to be all shocking and like, oh, you can't deal with my truth. And they were like, we can. And we can also like, essentially, I sent over what I thought was an ace of a serve in tennis. And then they just fucking backhanded it straight down the line. Returned it straight away. Yeah, yeah. The fuck you. So what's your grievance this week? Okay, so the fuck you is for the general level of customer service in the UK at the moment. I. And actually, we're sort of talking about Rishi and this will be out to help out and sort of COVID inquiry and stuff like that. I think this is something that's happened since COVID. I think basically mm. during COVID, we did the whole kind of like key worker, give them an applause on a Thursday, I'll look after them. You've got to be. And I think now we've got this weird thing where we think of anyone who works in customer service as being on the same level as like war heroes. And it means that they get away with absolute murder. They take so many liberties. I think we used to be at quite a decent level in the UK in terms of the customer service you'd receive on a daily basis. Like, I think we weren't quite up there to American standards, but we were good. Now it's borderline European with how bad it's got. Whoa, that's not where you want to be. No, it's, <laughs> mate, it's almost French the way it's got. Like, it, I was in Tesco. This, I, I was doing like a sort of big shop this morning. I always do it early. You know, nowadays in the supermarket, they don't really have music. Like years ago, mm. you used to get like supermarket music. It was sort of like cheap knockoff covers of pop music. Do you know what I mean? You walk around the co-op, they'd sort of have sort of weird covers where they didn't want to pay for the licensing of real music. So someone somewhere was making covers of UB40. I know the ones you mean. It's that modern kind of cover version where it sounds like the singer's going to burst into tears. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, it'd be like Wannabe by the Spice Girls and it'll be something going, if you want to be my yeah, for, for some reason, it's in a minor key and it sounds like <laughs> the person singing it has just experienced like a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, <laughs> wake me up before you go-go, but it'll sound like someone's in a coma. That'll be how yeah. depressing it sounds. <laughs> That's what you used to get in supermarkets now it's just silent right i was queuing up nowadays you used to get a smile at the tills now you you really look like you're inconveniencing them because you know there's this whole thing of oh the machines are taking everyone's jobs it's like well they might not if the people doing the jobs look like they wanted to fucking do them and i'm queuing up to, <laughs> to this woman and it's silent in the supermarket but i can hear this noise i can hear this music it's this song that's like, ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, I know that song. What is that song? And she, she sort of doesn't look at me. She sort of, it's like she's looking down at something. I'm like, What's going, what is that song? Where is it coming from? I know that. I realise after a minute, I'm like, oh, that's hold music. 
And I realized that what was happening, this woman who was checking out my, my shopping, she's on her phone on hold and she's just serving me whilst waiting to speak to someone on hold. <laughs> that is so disrespectful. Like, I'm going to do some admin today. Yeah, exactly. You feel like I said, like, so am I inconveniencing you? Am I, am I getting in your way while you're trying to like book a fucking optician's appointment or something? That's like, just on hold. Like, imagine mm. if me or you went on stage next week and we just got an earphone in where we're waiting to speak to a doctor or we're waiting for HMRC <laughs> to pick up the phone. Just halfway through a joke, just, oh, sorry, do you mind if I just take this? Just serving my stuff eventually. I'm bagging it up and I get out of there. As I'm leaving, I watched the security guard. Someone just robbed the shop, but it did it with such ease. Literally walked past the security with a big bag, grabbed some stuff. Security guard just did nothing. And sort of made eye contact with me as if, as if to be like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, you could fucking change. Like, more for <laughs> yeah, me yeah. for not robbing this shop. I feel like a mug for paying. It is funny, isn't it? It's got to be, what is the most sort of like symbolic job in Britain today is being security guard at a retail outfit. I don't think anyone has rugby tackled anyone coming out of a Tesco's for about 10 years. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, let's get on to the first big politics story. We're going to talk about Rishi at the COVID inquiry. All right, so it was Rishi's turn on the stand. What a week for him, right? He's got this Rwanda bill being voted on, but because of when we're recording this, I don't know what the outcome will be. So, uh, you know, it might be that he just it got through or it might be that the Tories are balls deep in another fucking leadership contest. But in terms of his testimony, I think this was one of his better moments, actually. I thought he'd be really tetchy. I thought he'd be really kind of, you know, like he's a bit like the lad in school that's done all the revision and can't wait to do the test, you know. But he actually wasn't like that. And I I don't know what kind of next level fucking beta blockers he's on. But um, he was pretty calm, pretty composed. He seemed sort of prime ministerial. But he also, just like Boris, he didn't have his WhatsApps. But I I would say this, Jacob, right? He won my respect by one... I mean, look, if he's lying about not having them, I've got this personal view that I think it was a bit rough that they all had to hand them over anyway, because I just think WhatsApps are so personal. But then again, you know, the business of government was being conducted. But in general, Rishi didn't say much on these groups. What a smart little fucker he was, eh? He wasn't being held to account. Or at this point, you said Boris looked like, you know, you made some derogatory comment about him and all-day buffets, but he's got none of that to answer for. No, but the thing is, you have to remember at the time, he was kind of gearing up for what's happening now. 
I remember during lockdown when there was like leaked pictures of parties and he was never in them. Do you know what I mean? He was he was never in the pictures yeah, yeah. to the point that there were almost rumours that he might have been taking the photos or at least getting his aides to do mm. so. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that like this is one of the few times that I've gone, actually, you can be quite slick sometimes. It's the one thing that surprised me about Rishi. I thought he'd be a bit slicker. I thought he'd be a bit more prime ministerial. I thought he'd be a bit more slippery. And actually, he's put his foot in his mouth more often than I thought he would. And and this is one of the few times where I've gone, you're actually getting away with this the way that I thought you'd get away with most things, you know? like I, I thought there'd be a real kind of harsh handbrake turn when he came in after Liz Truss that it would suddenly feel like someone who could really sort of slip out of situations and deal with stuff a bit better when he, and he's actually been a bit clunkier than I expected yeah picking fights over marbles and that sort of thing yeah. I mean he opened with an apology and again I find it really weird that these apologies with both Boris and Rishi have been the things that have led uh, the news and also with this apology I actually liked what he did was he apologised for the people who lost people but then he actually flipped to saying and I also apologise for the victims of lockdowns and the mental health suffering and outcomes that people had there but the mainstream media was so just generally of the view that lockdowns were definitely a good thing and we should probably have had more I was listening to Newscast which I actually like right so I'm not just throwing Mm -hmm. shade on them this is how blind or deaf they are to this is when they played his apology they literally cut it as he was about to do the bit really? where he apologised. I thought, this has been the problem for me with mainstream media because a lot of them work in jobs that you can do over Zoom. They've been completely fucking deaf to what happened to people where their lives got a hell of a lot worse because they were were in lockdown. You know, I don't know what your experience was like, but if you are a public person, if you're a sociable person, if you live in a cramped tower block, if your relationship came to an end when it might not have otherwise done, I think he was absolutely right to apologise to those people too. 100%. And all, I mean, a lot, a lot of what I've read about what he's been saying is, is he, he really was thinking of the economy and thinking of getting things back on their feet. And and that mm. it's not quite our sector, but it kind of is. You know, the Eat Out to Help Out stuff, like it was trying to help the sort of leisure, entertainment, like and venues and stuff like that. My personal experience of it, and obviously this is just before you and I had met, but like going into lockdown in sort of early 2020, my girlfriend was pregnant with our first kid. And I was at a very sort of weird place economically in the sense that I was fully self-employed, had been for a couple of years as a comedian. That that was my complete income, didn't have a day job or anything like that. But you had to have been doing it for three years to get proper self-employment support. So I wasn't eligible for the support. So I was in this really weird position of like, like in terms of like comedians, I wasn't at that point where I still had a bit of a day job so I'd get furloughed from something so I'd be all right. But I also hadn't been self-employed long enough that I'd get any kind of support. I got quite lucky that I got I was doing podcasts for the BBC and stuff, but I was working through it. Mm. But it meant that I was in a one-bedroom flat with my missus. My daughter was born in the August of that year. The funny thing is, I gauge public opinion largely through my WhatsApp group of my, my mm-hmm. mates from home, who, as I say, they're sort of like builders tradesmen who grew up around Stevenage. And they loved Rishi. I wouldn't say they're the sort of like working class labor supporters you might expect. They're kind of what you get in the South, which is people who are kind of economically forward thinking and sometimes do vote Tory in that sense. But they, they mm. loved Rishi for Eat Out to Help Out because that was a sick summer. You, you, <laughs> I mean, people forget that. That was unbelievable. That has always been the issue where you say the words Eat Out to Help Out for the vast majority of people, obviously for people who, you know, had serious outcomes with COVID, but for the vast majority of the population, you're going, sorry, you're just reminding me of the time when me, my wife, my son, we went to Costa, we all got paninis, 
We all got hot beverages and it was eight quid. You know what I mean? Like when it should have been 18. That is the problem is that I don't think, as much as people want to think that the Tories are evil, you know, and there's this thing of eat out to help the virus, you'd have to be some evil bastard if you just sat there and went, right, I've come up with a plan. I want this virus to claim more lives and I've come up with a cynical plan and I'm going to pretend that I want to help the hospitality industry, but it's a way of, you know, this isn't a fucking Bond film, all right? He's not some prick sitting in there on a volcanic island. Now, the interesting thing is, and this is where the details like that are reported versus what's interesting, I think there's a real schism is that do you know how many days eat out to help out actually happened that summer on right i don't think it was many was it not in total it was 12 days right so really yeah genuinely it was four (laughs) weeks where it happened three days a week and also like there's been no epidemiological uh, that's the first time i've ever pronounced that right evidence that can actually link that the second wave started because of that the second wave started in all european countries so i actually thought rishi i mean this is this has been a surprise sort of rishi loving from me compared to the last few weeks i thought he was pretty strong on this and one thing that he did say was that like the medical officer guys are sort of saying they weren't consulted on it is that from when it was announced to when it happened was a whole month yeah they had an opportunity they had the opportunity to put their hands up and go no no we think this is a bad idea they had to get their head out of their double big macs that they've got buy one get one free before they could (laughs) but yeah Oh, Chris Whitty, he was, he was tucking into some Nokia Prezos. Tucking into his second Nando's of the afternoon, yeah. The thing with this inquiry at the moment, especially where they're going for Rishi, you're like, you've got enough things to batter the government about over that period. They did enough stuff legitimately wrong. The parties, all the other stuff. You've got enough to have a go at them for. Eat Out to Help Out is so low on the things you can be angry about. Also, it's three years ago now. Obviously, you want to be sympathetic to anyone who lost someone during that period, and I lost people during that period. But you kind of go, at some point, can we fucking like think about the other stuff that they've done wrong? And as you say, 12 days of two-for-one burgers in a summer three years ago when 90% of people were eating outside. Is that really the best thing you can get them Yeah, on no, I mean, that was the two most interesting things from the last two weeks. One was that lockdown, as a word, only appeared on March the 7th, and then it... It started happening on like March the 13th or 16th, right? So we think that there was this like seismic delay where there was months where people were screaming for it to happen. It didn't. It was a lot shorter than people remember. And Eat Out to Help Out just didn't happen. You know, and the percentage of the population that actually went and did this wasn't that high. And I think that, you know, people like Chris Wee, it it was a strange time to remember where – he come out with a fucking catchphrase. That's how famous he was. <laughs> ne- 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 I mean, not since Brucey and Michael Barrymore has someone come out of mainstream television with a uh, next slide, please. I mean, yeah, it, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Look, look, there was a flip side to it for him where, you know, like people were, like he got a lot of stick and, and people were threatening him as well. But him and people like Van Tam, they had fan clubs. It's a strange time. The truth is, maybe, maybe the biggest reason that I'm averse to this inquiry is, is I just don't want to think about that time. So the Tories have been in trouble on Rwanda. Like I say, we don't know exactly the outcome when we're recording this. It does feel like a bit of a, a shit sequel to Brexit, isn't it? You know, like you know, in a way like the Marvel franchise where they had this one big storyline, was everyone going, what a storyline that is. And the next phase of it, they've gone, let's do that again, but with a... Yeah, let's rehash it. Re- rehash it, but a really low level that just doesn't create the same engagement. But they are kind of split a bit on this. But one way to unite the Tories when they're all fighting each other is for Gary Lineker. To, I mean, he is, he's like, he sort of unifies the force. He yeah. signed this, uh, this, this declaration by 
a bunch of public figures and celebs that are against the Rwanda policy. Now, what's interesting, so the Daily Mail, had, they led on this as a front page, which I think is fucking mental. I mean, they've got to be bigger things happening than whether or not Gary Lineker has signed a pledge. So what happens, as usual, Gary Lineker's trending on Twitter and a couple of Tory MPs come for him. The thing was, he hadn't broken the guidelines by signing this declaration. He hadn't. But then he did by going for these two Tory MPs. So this one guy, Jonathan Gullis, he basically said, if you'd read the BBC policy on what employees can say in public or had it read to you. So he's sort of saying he's illiterate. Now, interestingly, Jacob, that's the point where he breaks the guidelines because one of the BBC social media guidelines is you cannot attack the character of politicians online. Yeah. So in being a fucking smart ass, he's done exactly what they've accused him of. Now, I don't want to sound too conspiratorial here. I actually think that this is quite deliberate from Lineker at this point. How long ago was it when he first got, got in trouble and all, all the other Match of the Day hosts were like, we're not doing it without you, mate? Was that like a year ago? That was earlier this year. That was the summer. So that was when he said that there were policies not dissimilar from no, 1930s Germany. And he definitely, <laughs> definitely wasn't calling the government Nazis. Let's just be clear about that. But I've got a keen eye on Lineker and what he does, right? Because I think he's quite crafty. Since then, he's started about six of his own podcasts, right? A lot oh. of them are made by that Goal Hanger Productions, which I think he is his or his son's it's involved his, in. very much yeah. his, yeah. Now, I think he's kind of seen the way the wind is blowing here. I think he's looked at legacy media, and obviously I think he's still the highest paid person at the BBC. He is, yeah. But I think he's looking at this and going, mm, probably haven't got long left of that. You know, I'm getting mm. older now. And I think he's literally saying to himself, right, keep making the podcasts, start a new podcast every week. Mika Richards is always free. Just get him on to howl and laugh <laughs> like he always does. But literally, and I think he's saying to himself now, the more times I can get in trouble and not get in trouble enough that I get sacked, but just enough that I'm trending, just enough that I'm on the front page of the Daily Mail again. I'm trending on Twitter again. I'm getting more subscribers to the podcast again. I honestly think he's orchestrating his own out game from the BBC now and he's doing it really cleverly where he's just towing the line, just getting in trouble enough where he still stays trending, still gets in trouble, but they can't quite get him. Exactly as you just described it there, Jeff. It's not the main thing. Like the main thing that he said, he's not in trouble for that because he didn't say it on social media. But then he went after the MPs. It feels so orchestrated to me that he's doing this, knowing that the more he trends, the more people are going to listen to the thousand podcasts he creates every week, the more money that he makes off that. And he's ready for when the BBC do finally say, look, you're out, mate. And he goes, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm making more money from the podcasts. Well, yeah, I mean, ironically, there's something quite Trumpian about it in a way is just create, have the arguments, attract the people. Because one of the things that happens with Lineker is like, if he pisses off the Daily Mail or if he pisses off a Tory MP, there's always going to be a certain kind of person who goes, well, he seems to be making the right people angry. Exactly. I, exactly. I, I hate that argument. Like, because why not just try and build a consensus? But no, there's definitely a market for, this happens on left and right. If you piss off the right people, people will go, well, I just gave you a sub, Gary. Keep up the good work. You see these sycophantic pricks in the comments and it did lead to the slightly icky sight of him and James O'Brien uh, having a bit of public backslapping. I mean there is a part of me that goes you're, you're right like he's got this business empire now when it comes to match of the day just piss off and let someone else have a go seriously man you've done it for decades this is what's so weird is if you love the BBC right and you understand that the license fee payer model gives it a unique obligation to have balance and to avoid some of these arguments but actually some of the people that claim to love the BBC the most are the least sympathetic to why this causes a ball ache for them 
Yeah, of course. But it's, it's also, though, we're, we're in an age of diversity. We're in an age of people wanting different voices. I think Lineker's been quite crafty <laughs> at sort of towing the line, sounding like he's, he's for the right causes and doing that, whilst also being exactly what people say they don't want anymore. Mm. Most people, if you'd say, what's, what's wrong with the media? What do we need to change? Oh, there's too many entitled middle-class white men in positions of power. And Gary Lineker's literally sat there as... as oh. <laughs> like if, if you asked a child to draw an entitled titled privileged white man in his 50s they'd draw Gary Lineker and he sat there talking about how there needs to be less of himself while still taking the paycheck himself well I mean the genius is right and maybe we're just we're just ended up happening upon the genius of Gary Lineker is that to the people that he needs to appeal to he somehow created the idea that despite all the privilege his life has involved as you rightly say he somehow seems like the fucking victim All right, we'll just do a hype, a couple of hypes. I know Jacob is out on tour next year, so we'll talk about that in a second. Early tour shows next year. So we had some extra shows that went on sale later. So I need to give these uh, a push. Kings Lynn on Saturday, the 27th of January. Aldershot. We're selling well, but it's a fucking big room. Tring. Uh, that one went on sale quite late. Stroud, these are all in early February. Grimsby, first ever tour show in Grimsby. And then we've got Mansfield, Loughborough, all of that coming up in February. And now, Jacob, you are, I know a lot of my punters that would have seen you open would love to come and see you do your tour. Well, what is the tour called? Well, the show's called Space. I think I'm doing about 12 dates around the country uh, that I've announced so far. And there'll be more that I'm going to announce in the new year as well. And yeah, it's, it's, it went on sale uh, a week and a half ago, selling pretty good. I mean, as as you know, there's there's places that sell well and places that always feel like a struggle. What's your struggle place? You know, we always do this. What's the place where you can't... The good ones are always easy. You know that Brighton's going to be fine. You know that Bristol's yeah. going to be fine. You, you, ne- you never worry about those. I'm starting my tour in Maidenhead, and I don't know who made that decision. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. Someone between me and the promoter has, has made a bit of an error there going, how do we get things off of a bang? Maidenhead. Do you know what I mean? And, and so I'm, I'm, it's only a small room I'm doing for that one, but I'm, I am a bit concerned that I Look, I, be- I generally, I mean, and not because it's an absolute Tory stronghold, but I generally, Maidenhead is like, is like my home ground. I've done... Two days, so I, I can issue a clarion call to the people of Maidenhead to get there and support um, uh, Jacob. Oh, support always sounds like one. this is what people say to me. Like you know, when you've been doing comedy a while, and then one of your mates would go, "Oh, well, we'll come down. We'll show a bit of support." You're like, "This is my fucking living, man." You know, yeah, it feels patronising, doesn't it? Like, like <laughs> I've had I've had that with my London show. The, the the London show. Well, I thought the London show was selling really well because it's it's one of those where you can actually see the seating map. Yeah, you know when you click on the link to books, and I, I had a quick look after a few days, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's nearly all gone. We've nearly sold it out in a few days." And then I realised they've closed the upper circle because they want people to buy the front first. It's one of the great tragedies of the touring comic that people won't realise is that every so often our partners will say, "What are you doing?" You go, "I'm just responding to an email." But what you're really doing is looking at a seat map for a gig <laughs> that you're doing in March of the following year in Bromsgrove. <laughs> Right, just a quick one on Nigel Farage, Farage or Farage, um, <laughs> which instinctively you'd think he wouldn't want an accent over the E. So he <laughs> finished third in I'm a Celebrity. And it was interesting because obviously there was a lot of hoo-ha about him going in there in the first place, right? And a lot of people said boycotted the show. It was normalising his opinions. I don't think you can normalise 
a thing that's already pretty common. Mm. That's what's so odd about Farage. We'll get onto that um, in a minute. I think that there's a reason why they've gone for politicians in the last couple of years. People go, well, why do we even need politicians on these shows? This is my theory, Jacob, right? Is reality shows are only good when there's conflict. They're only yep. good when there's conflict. Now, back in the day, with I'm a Celebrity, you used to have some old kind of like drama queens on there or some old like dinosaurs of entertainment that thought that they could go on there and be pricks and the public would still love them. And that is why it was good telly. Or people that were transparently superficial like Paul Burrell, like nakedly aspirational showbiz Pause, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. what happens with reality shows, people work out who tends to win. Who tends to win is the nice ones. The nice ones, the nice ones. You know, our friend Joel Domit, who's a funny guy, looks great, and he's nice. Of course he wins. Sam Thompson, of course he wins. So I think, this is my theory, you actually need politicians in there because none of the others in there will cause enough fights for it to be good telly. But the problem now, though, is all, all the politicians see it as kind of like redemption arc TV. Hmm. I feel like there must be a, a, a sort of PR consultant in London somewhere who these people phone up and they go, right, if you want to re- repair your reputation amongst the British public, get in the jungle, come out, mental health podcast, book deal, you, you're away, you're done. Hmm. Like, uh, he, even, you know, obviously friend of ours, Sean Walsh, he, he had that thing in the media where, where you know, he kissed his dancer on, on the dancing show a few years ago, redemption arc on the jungle last year, obviously see Matt Hancock last year, Redemption Art. And that was the disappointing thing for me. I thought Farage would go in there and properly ruffle a few feathers. You yeah. Know? Yeah, he's quite boring, wasn't he? He was quite ways. boring. He, even like, you know, they, there was a girl, I don't, I don't really watch it, there was a girl who went in there called Nella Rose, right? Mm. Young girl, YouTuber. And yeah. I think the bookers would have been like, surely they're going to have a fight. Surely, you know, she won't like him. He won't like her. And it's like all the clips are of them being mates. You're like, this isn't what we watched this for. <laughs> I remember years ago, do you remember John McKirrick? Yes. I did the horse race. Do you remember when he went on Big Brother years oh. ago? And it was just a breakdown. It was just watching a man have a nervous breakdown because they'd taken away his Diet Coke. And it's the best television you've ever watched. Kim Woodburn, I mean, whose clips still... By the way, this is where I have hope for the young, is that Kim Woodburn is huge on TikTok. The kids recognised that a woman that goes in there and just fights with other women is absolute TV TV gold. I mean, one thing I was just thinking, as you were saying there about Sean, is that last year's we've had comics on, and this year there was no stand-up comic on. Effectively, that's like Nigel Farage... Coming on those shows, taking our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, would you do it? If you if you no. offered it, would you do Jungle? No. No, I, I have this weird thing with reality shows. It's, it's like one of my worst nightmares is that, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but like I, when Big Brother used to be on, I used to have a recurring nightmare that I was in the Big Brother house, but I was voted out second. Because oh. I always felt second was like the nothing one. You know what I mean? Like no one cares, No one hated mate. you. No no one was queuing to get you out early doors. No, but, no. But, but you were naff enough that you went out when uh, second week. I mean, the thing about Nigel is that I, I think he's that his his views are just not extreme. They might be extreme in, in a sort of liberal context. They, his politics aren't where mine are. But I would say that they're of the level where... If a relative said that around the Christmas dinner table, you wouldn't go, oh, my God, you fascist. What you would say is like, no, no. can we not talk about this at Christmas dinner? Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and so that's where they've tripped up the, the mainstream press in the way that they talk about him is, is what you know, I think what most people think, most people would go, well, you're calling him this and he doesn't seem like that. He doesn't seem like a fascist or a Nazi. He does seem like he might be a bit more xenophobic than he lets on publicly, but that is not the same as what you're calling him. So what generally happens with the coverage of Farage is that it's actually people end up sort of more suspicious of the mainstream press than they are of him. 
it gives him a let off. I mean, also he's he's an economist. You have to remember that he's he's not yeah. he's not a kind of like firebrand. Say what you see. Like he he does know where the money is. I mean, did did you see him? I don't know whether it was today or yesterday. Where he was sort of threatening the boss of ITV. Yeah, I mean, the, the boss about? of ITV put his finger up at him somewhere. He gave him a middle finger somewhere. And Farage did this proper like mafia boss look down the camera, being like, "If you if you want to go against me, mate, I've got against people like you before, and I've won." So he's, he's genuinely calling him oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was sort of like a WWE caller. He'd go, look, yeah, what you've got to understand is if you want to go the way, the same way as the woman from that West, then bring yeah. it on, bring it on. So, Jacob, thanks so much for coming on the show first time. Just remind us of the tour and where people can find tickets. Yes, yeah, so I'm starting my tour uh, in February, starting in Maidenhead, and it goes all the way on until the summer, and you can find tickets on my website, jacobhawley.co.uk. Okay, people of Maidenhead, rally. Is, is it the Northern Arts Centre? Yeah, Northern Farm Arts Centre, which, which, by the way, is a lovely venue. People talk ill of Maidenhead. I really, I really like performing there. So, yeah, hopefully it will be a good start to the tour. So, yeah, come on, people of Maidenhead. You know you've got money. So stop acting like you ain't got money. You're like, cost of, cost of what? Crisis. <laughs> That's what they call it in Maidenhead. Thanks very much for listening to the show. Next week, it will be the Christmas special with Romesh Ranganathan. But Jacob Hawley this week, thanks so much. A brilliant debut, mate, and I'll see you out and about soon. Cheers, mate.